Welcome back to Great Quarter, guys. This is episode 67 of the show where the lines between freight and finance are none. I'm your host, Andrew Cox, senior retail analyst here at Freight Waves. And today is a bit of a bittersweet day, I got to say. This is Seth's last hoorah. This is his last show as the co-host of Great Quarter, guys. He is on to greener pastures and back to uh, capital and finance world, which is where he needs to be. It's where his uh, brain is best used. We'll talk more about his next role uh, towards the end of the show. But did need to give a little shout out to Seth. He's been an incredible co-host and a good friend to me. He's taught me a lot over the past two years. And we joined Freight Waves together at the same time. So we were kind of launched the research team together, he, I, and uh, and Kevin, Kevin Hill, uh, that is. And it's been an amazing two years. So Seth, let's kick it off and do an incredible job with this last show and get you, uh, get you on and out, unfortunately. Okay, so let's start with the chart of the week. This one comes from Bank of America, the, the incredible Bank of America securities team that puts out this consumer spending report each week. This is what you're looking at is a spending for entertainment services in California versus the rest of the U.S. This is on a two-year change. So comparing to 2019, comparing to 2020 is kind of useless at this point. Uh, but what you're seeing here is that dark blue line is the California entertainment and, and services, uh, entertainment service spending. It absolutely exploded uh, in the last two weeks. Pretty simple explanation. It is Disneyland in California opening back up. But I just thought that uh, that one theme park having that type of impact to a an economy that is the fourth largest economy in the world is pretty spectacular. So I wanted to show that to you. Seth, you got anything, any words on that? Yeah, I mean, it's it's pretty stunning. I agree with you. And uh, it, I, I was thinking it was the seventh largest economy in the world. But either way, uh, oh, yeah, splitting, splitting hairs. But um, either way, super important and a, and a great leading indicator. And this is what uh, you and I have talked about many times uh we were calling our shot for that uh, once-in-a-lifetime travel boom, and I think this is uh, Exhibit A uh, of the early stages of that. Yeah, most definitely. We're going to talk a little bit more about that travel boom here in a second. Uh, but I did have just two notes. What do you think about Elon Musk hosting Saturday Night Live? You, uh, you know, I haven't watched Saturday Night Live in many years. I mean, I loved it, and a lot of the alumni and... Um, you know, uh, I might actually tune in for that. I so. was thinking the same thing. I haven't watched a live Saturday Night Live in ages. I will definitely be watching that. It's May 8th for anybody uh, wondering about that. Some of the cast is revolting, though. They're not very happy. There's been three or four people that have come out publicly on Twitter and social media and said that they don't want Elon Musk as the host. Why? Uh, for a couple of reasons. One, uh, for his thoughts on COVID and vaccines, saying that he wouldn't take a COVID vaccine. They didn't like uh -huh. that very much. And then also kind of just the whole, I think this eat the rich type thing, him being the one of the richest people in the world. They don't want to have him associated with the show. And then he also came out and said, I wonder how live, or we'll see how live Saturday Night Live really is. That kind of pissed some people off. So it's going to be interesting to watch to see if the cast uh, gels well with him. But I'll be watching uh, May 8th. A second note here, I just saw this. DraftKings is acquiring the rights to Dan Libertard's podcast. Dan Libertard is, of course, the uh, kind of the, the inspiration for our You Care or No, you care or not, uh, sections. I just want to say that they're paying $50 million for Dan Libertard's show, which I think is crazy. But yeah, wow. Well, hey, you, you might have a uh, future uh, in store. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you're a Levitard so. guy. I was always a Colin, uh, Colin Cowherd guy. I like, so. I like Cowherd too. Levitard's a little bit, he's, he's wild for me. So I, I, like, I like the wildness. All right, we're going to do uh, a quick news segment. This is called Buy or Sell. I'm going to give you a statement or a rumor that I have heard, and you tell me whether you're buying or selling that idea. So back to Elon Musk real quick. He said on the earnings call on Monday, he said that Tesla has sold 10% of its Bitcoin holdings. Of course, it bought $1.5 billion worth of Bitcoin uh, towards the end of last year or early this year. But he said that they sold 10% of their Bitcoin holdings simply to prove liquidity of Bitcoin as an alternate to holding cash on the balance sheet. You buying or selling that? Buy it. I, I love the little strange things that Elon does. And this one, uh, it makes sense to me. He, he snuck out of 10% of a giant position just to prove everybody that, you know, you could sell it without impacting the market, I guess. And uh, 
and 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 have perfect liquidity and exchange cash for it. So uh, this is the first I saw of it, so I don't have any. You yeah, know, you're deep off. Thoughts. You're off Twitter now. He uh, he tweeted this. D- Dave Portnoy, the guy from um, Penn Gaming and Barstool, he attacked Elon online. It was like, here you are. You called yourself a Bitcoin guy, and now you're dropping out after two months. Uh, and Elon said, no, I've not sold any of my personal Bitcoin holdings. We simply sold 10% of Teslas to prove liquidity. Interesting. Um, I don't know if there's more there or not. I have to read up on that. No, no deep thoughts, but uh, I do like these little quirky things that he does from time to time just to either mess with people or prove a point. So, yes, uh, I think he does it for both. Check, and, uh, and check Mark to uh, checkmate to him on that one. All right. What about this one? Amazon stock split rumor. This one's so, been sending the stock higher this week. What do you, think? <laughs> you know, that's always hilarious because um, pre-Robinhood, all professional investors would have told you 100% of them. 100 out of 100 would have told you stock splits do not matter. And in fact, they're, they're kind of a uh, meaningless and uh, thing that, that companies do to kind of uh, to try to draw it for entertainment purposes. But um, they, they shouldn't matter economically, right? Because you're right. just slicing up a pie like a pizza uh, mm-hmm. in a certain number of slices, but it's the same size pizza, right? And uh, I think what this has proved in the age of Robinhood, even with uh, fractional shares, for whatever reason, human psychology comes into play. We, what did we see this with? Was it Apple? Uh, and another stock went on a six, it's the Tesla. Yep, Tesla's um, another. So, I mean, it, it does tend to unlock some, uh, you know, unmonetized uh, latent value there. And so um, I'm, not, I'm not surprised that maybe we're dealing with a new world where stock splits do actually work. Maybe Berkshire needs to do the <laughs> yeah, one maybe. themselves. Yeah, so you buying or selling now? Oh, yeah. Uh, I'll buy it. Um, I'm, I'm a big fan of Andy Jassy, actually. And I, I think that it is reminds me of you're probably a little bit too young, but uh, everyone was really bearish on Apple when uh, Steve Jobs died. And everybody was like, oh, Tim Cook, you know, uh, this guy's, you know, nobody can fill those shoes. It'd be like replacing Nick Saban uh, right. as the head football coach at Alabama. And, you know, uh, Apple has gone on to be go up five or ten times in value. I don't know the exact number, but um I think we may see a repeat of history where Amazon still has plenty of plenty of uh, gas in the tank and, and plenty uh, of upside. Yeah, no doubt. We'll talk about Amazon logistics here in a moment when we talk about UPS. Uh, they had an incredible earnings, but we'll talk about kind of the battle going on between UPS and Amazon. And then last one, buy or sell. Expedia CEO came out, I think, yesterday afternoon and said hotels will come screaming back. You buy or sell? Buy, and I, and I agree with that. Um, you, uh, you know, full full force. You and I have said the same thing, and uh, I think we're starting to see it in the data. I will tell you why, Andrew. Uh, I, in my time off, I was looking for somewhere to go, and uh, you know, I'm, I looked at hotel properties around the U.S. and, and greater, uh, you know, ocean areas that I've that I've been before, and the rates are off the charts. They look like uh, shipping rates from Asia to the West Coast. I mean, you're talking about three to four x what these what I've paid to stay at these really? places. Yeah. I mean, uh, hotels that are $1,500 a night that are usually three or $400 a night. So you think that's because of capacity restraints and I, I think it's or? everybody got vaccinated. And, uh, I think it's two things. Uh, everybody got vaccinated and now wants to travel and two international still pretty locked down. Yep. So everybody, there's a, there's more demand than supply. And so everybody's bidding up those, those prices. He also said, uh, the CEO said that the um, time between book and travel has shrunk a lot. Like people yeah. aren't thinking three months out. They're thinking, where can I go next week? Kind of that vaccination thing. Like, all right, I'm vaccinated. Where can I go right now? Yeah. And uh, and I, I listened to that on the Expedia earnings call because, you know, I, I own those shares as well. And uh, and 
And, it, you know, uh, there are all these little interesting things that make sense after you're like, oh, I, I've, I do that, too. You right. know? And, yeah, uh, and, but you, don't, you, you hear them on an earnings call and you're like, I didn't know everybody else does that. Yeah, too. right. So, um, yeah, it makes sense to me. All right. Let's move on to you care or not. I've got four for us uh, today. The first one, as I said, is on UPS. They blew expectations out of the water this morning when they announced Q1 results. Seth, you care or not? Definitely care. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I sort of felt this one coming. Uh, UPS and FedEx, they, they haven't done poorly, but I saw this morning the Dow Jones Transportation Index hit a new all-time high, largely because of this. I think it was up double digits this morning. Yep. Um, you know, so I, I guess people were, uh, investors were expecting a quick fade. Uh, you know, they, they thought UPS was a, you know, a COVID stock. And I think to some degree, it probably, you know, it has certainly benefited from COVID. Oh, yeah. um, but um, it, it, I think results clearly show this morning they blew the estimates out of the water. I think they almost yeah, think doubled the earnings. 277 and, EPS versus 172 consensus. So. Yeah, which is just, you know, a monstrous beat. And so uh, I think this is showing that uh, maybe there's another, at least another couple quarters. And, you know, UPS is one of those companies I don't expect them. Uh, you know, I, th I think that when trucking tops out, we'll start to see some nasty results, maybe whatever, a year or 12, 6, 12, 18 months from now. UPS, I think, will be fine because uh, that, that e-commerce tailwind yeah. uh, behind them is just so strong. But uh, definitely care. Yeah, I care as well. And I would agree with that. I think they, they of course, have benefited from COVID. But COVID structurally changed e-commerce for a while. It has added double, uh, double the growth probably for the next few years. And that definitely benefits uh, the parcel carriers. This is the most UPS has ever earned in a single quarter. And they did it in a Q1. Uh, so I think that's just a remarkable thing. They were, I think they got double-digit uh, price increases across the board. Uh, and, and they posted a higher earnings per share this quarter than they did in Q4. Q4, of course, is always the record year for parcel carriers. But there's one thing I did want to note, and this is on their uh, CapEx expectations. So UP, UPS is expecting to spend $4 billion in CapEx this year after spending about four and a half last year. Amazon Logistics is planning $20 billion in capital outlays. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, they've got a lot of catch, catching up to do, but uh, yeah, Amazon that, is... That boogeyman, uh, I think spending. it's still 13% of their revenue. At least uh, I, had, I haven't listened to the most recent call, but I listened to the last quarters. And I want to say it actually it had increased from around 10% to 13%. Yep. Sounds like the relationship is still good. Uh, long term, though, you know, that that's not an issue that I would want to really uh, figure out. But, um, you know, uh, because... Yeah, we've talked about it on here on this show. Um, even I, I don't think a lot of people in even in our industry, savvy people know that you have literally the third or the fourth largest logistics business in the world sitting inside of Amazon right now. That's kind of a scary it's, thought. And, and and literally a lot of investors don't know that. And, and a lot of people inside this industry don't know of it. And, and you and I read a, a Bank of America report from Ken Hexter in a year ago. This is a year ago now. And imagine the growth since then. Um, I think he estimated that it could be worth as much as $200 billion. And it, it's not straightforward because some of it is saving costs that yep. they would otherwise be allocating to UPS or FedEx or Postal Service. But uh, it, they're, I would keep an eye on them. Their uh, plane, plane fleet, their trucks, their LTL, uh, their brokerage, everything is, is, uh, is getting large. Yeah, they're, they're moving at 1,000 miles an hour in every direction. I, I wrote uh, an article on FreightWaves.com. You can find it. Amazon... Amazon Logistics growth spurt in context. So I talked about how they added over 300 facilities in the U.S. Uh, Amazon Logistics did last year alone. They added almost a million square footage of, uh, of warehouse space in the U.S. alone. And this next year, they're expecting to double their trucking fleet. They're doing it through this no pro new program. I don't even know if you've heard of it. Uh, Amazon Freight Partners. 
they have they're running an incubation program where they're high, they're um, training a few hundred young people to go out and start their own trucking companies to haul dedicated for Amazon. So they're trying mm-hmm. to expand their trucking fleet, uh, double that this year. Everything's growing so fast, and I, it is a boogeyman. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's inevitable. I mean, just to put that in context, the two hundred billion, right? And and Amazon grew their revenue what fifty to sixty percent over the past year. Yep. So one would imagine it's grown in value since then. <laughs> and I mean, that puts it as a runaway lead, the the world's largest transportation company. That's bigger than BNSF, bigger than Union Pacific. I don't know how big DHL is. It's got to it, be close. It, it's maybe. I think it's still bigger than that. Jeez. But uh, we we would have to look it up. But uh, you know, I I think you could argue maybe it's worth three hundred billion now, and yeah. that blows everyone else out of the water. So, um, you know, we'll we'll see what happens. And yeah, I think the bigger boogeyman there is if they open up that a- yes. Amazon Logistics Services excess capacity to third parties, which that's their. Which they they've ran that playbook before. Think, yeah, so, yeah. Um, yep. you know, First something to customer. keep an eye on for sure. No doubt. Let's move on to Lowe's. They have acquired carpet and flooring brand Stainmaster. It's a brand that they've been selling exclusively for more than a decade, and they are going to bring it in-house and make it a private label. Seth, you care or not? I don't care on this one. I, I know nothing about this one, to be honest. Um, I'm sure they have a good reason for doing it. Um, you know, um, some of the you know carpet and flooring can be a good business, as we know from our neighbors down the road in, in Dalton, yes. the yep. carpet capital of the world. Yes. Yep. Um, there's a lot of money to, to be had in that. And, um, you know, uh, it... I, I'm sure they have reasons for doing it. Did you happen to see any? Yeah, it goes, they're, they're trying this total home strategy, kind of the thing that they implemented a year and a half ago to focus more on the entire home, having more furniture, having more kitchen appliances, and they're in doing so also trying to get more commercial flooring. Uh, it, it's part of their total home. Uh, but other than that, they didn't really give me that much of a, a reasoning. I know that they're trying to expand private label offerings. They've only got two private labels right now, I think. And I mean, I would think that they make up a very minuscule amount of total sales much less than, I think Rick Helfenbein, he gave us his, what was his golden number? Something like 20%, 15 or 20% of private, private label. label. Yeah. Um, so they're, they're well below that. Uh, so I, I also don't care about this one. It's not a big deal for me. They, they've been selling this thing exclusively for 10 years. The only place you can buy it at Lowe's and now it's just going to become a Lowe's brand. Yeah. I'd have to see the terms of the deal, which are which were undisclosed. So I don't know if right. it makes that much sense. Well, the, if, if it's undisclosed, too, it, it likely means it's it's very small. Little. Yeah. Um, and 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 you know, intuition would suggest it is. But you know, I, the one thing I would add on to that before we move on to the next thing, I did see something interesting from the Callen uh, retail analyst on William Sonoma, particularly. He's bullish on that stock, and he did some really good survey work. And basically everyone, even for anywhere from 18 to uh, over 55, um, said that, you know, spending more on their house is a permanent change. Uh, and, and he surveyed hundreds or thousands of people. I don't remember the exact number, but it was very clear that people intend, uh, I, I think that the people that are expecting some sort of quick uh, mean reversion and fade down in this home and good spending uh, that at least the survey work that I that I'm looking at is suggesting that's not the case, and and the reason for that that they've cited is um, like 50 or 60 people plan on uh, percent of people plan on working from right. home either yeah. either permanently or or much In some more. sort of hybrid model. Yeah, that's yeah. what that would be my point. Or my and then and so you you know you work at home, it, it turns into your office. You got you want it nicer, and you yeah, want, of course you want to spend and more. Especially if you're doing uh, Zoom calls all day, like everybody is. You want a nice background. You spend money on it. Yeah, people are going to be spending more of their home. They've been spending, hell, just look at the data now. We thought, I thought that home improvement would begin to revert by now, but we're still seeing 70% over 2019 numbers. I mean, it's not the crazy numbers we were seeing a few months ago, but people are still buying stuff to renovate their homes. Yeah, I mean, that, I mean, just hearing you say that number, it's, it's just crazy. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's crazy. 
It's so crazy. 75% over 2019, people are spending on home improvement goods right now. It's nuts. Same thing in furniture. It's a, it's a very similar number. All right, let's move on to what has been got to be one of the best comebacks in, uh, in retail or in, in apparel in the last few years. That's Crocs. They posted unbelievable numbers. Uh, I think it was this morning or yesterday morning, blew expectations out of the water, uh, blew their guidance out of the water for 2021. I think they're expecting to grow revenues between 60 and 70% uh, through the next two quarters. Unbelievable for a, a shoe that was largely made fun of a couple years ago. Seth, you care or not about this Crocs comeback? I don't care about this one. <laughs> um, I, I am a, I'm a, I'm an initial skeptic on this one. Okay. Having done no work other than reading the article that you sent me, I've been keeping my eye on it. But it just seems to me that, you know, if you think about uh, everybody sitting around the house in sweatpants and Crocs, uh, there's got to be. There's got to be and some give it. back <laughs> on on that. And I, uh, although I did read in the article that, you know, Justin Bieber and uh, was it Post, Post Malone? Malone? Yeah, they've had a bunch of collabs. The, they just the came out with one with cars today, actually. Uh, the Disney, they did a Disney collab with cars that came out this morning. They yeah. sold out very quickly. So, you know, I look, listen, I'm not saying it's going back to where it was. Um, I, I think that's unlikely, but I, I think this one definitely has some give back. They will not continue to grow at this rate. That would be my, that would be my bet with no money on the line. Um, however, I will give them props. Uh, what, are, what are they called? The jewels that you put on your shoes? Uh, oh. One of the greatest business, most high margin, uh, <laughs> they sell those things for $10 and yeah, they cost they five 10 cents. cents. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so. Yeah, I mean, that is their plan. They, they're going to come out with, I heard, more sandals, more product lines. They're trying to expand the, the product market. Uh, and they're also focusing on direct-to-consumer sales, something that pretty much every retailer is doing. Their direct-to-consumer sales were up 100% year over year. I didn't even know they had that many stores. They've got like 250 stores, I think, yeah. or more than that. Um, but yeah, I, I, I can't say I do care. I've never owned a pair of Crocs. I actually put a pair on for the first time ever last weekend because yeah. I was laughing at them because I was like, why do I see these everywhere? And I put them on. I was like, pretty comfy. Well, our own very, uh, our very own JP Hampstead has some uh, strong thoughts that, on Crocs, and uh, Dooner's probably listening somewhere. And uh, so, shout Dooner, out to Dooner. I'm sure Dooner <laughs> has a pair of Crocs. They 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 fit his uh, his cowboy personality. All right, let's uh, let's move on to our last. You care or not nah for today and possibly forever? Uh, Lyft is selling its autonomous unit level five to Toyota for 550 million dollars, 200 million in cash right now, 350 million spread out over the next five years. Seth, you care or not? I care about this one. This one is meaningful and I'm curious about it. I saw uh, the uh, CEO on CNBC uh, for Lyft um, explaining the rationale behind the decision. A couple thoughts that I had. Why is everyone selling their autonomous divisions? To me, that says without going into it too deeply that it's a little bit more expensive and harder than they thought and yeah. maybe far farther out in time. Yep. Uh, although I have sort of in on the, on the truckload side, I, I think it's maybe a little bit closer than, than people expect. Um, and, and also the other major takeaway that I had was he, he was also stressing something about they're going to be profitable in, in Q3 yep. now, which is ahead a of expectation. I think Initially, they said 2020, but then COVID hit and yeah. destroyed the business. Um, so, I mean, but but relative to that, it is uh, ahead of uh, the most recent expectations on Wall Street. And I think so. What this might be telling you is that they might blow away the current Wall Street expectations on the bottom line when you remove a, a big cash burn. My guess is they did this to remove cash burn and uh, because they didn't see any um, near-term windfall in terms of this actually being a reality. Yep. And they're get, getting rid of cash burn at the same time. Yeah, in the FreightWaves article that uh, I think Brian Strait wrote this morning, they said that $100 million a year, I think, was the cash burn of this yeah. on R&D um, alone. So 
Uh, they'll be getting rid of that. And yeah, they, they're not going to get rid of, apparently they have two kind of sister autonomous divisions, one for kind of proprietary tech and one that's focused on licensing third-party tech onto the Lyft network. They've kept to that one and they're going to make their, that's called the open platform. That's going to become the autonomous division. So they're not giving up on autonomy. They're just giving up on building it themselves because I agree with you. I think that they've understood that it's way too expensive and that it's probably further out than they had originally hoped. Right. And so, I mean, if you just think about the fundamental setup for this business, I like it because on the top line, I think you're you're starting, You're I think all the Uber and uh, the rider metrics have, are the best that they've been in two years or thereabouts. And so the top line is accelerating again and you're getting rid of uh, you know those expenses. That could be a, a recipe for some good stock gains, I think, in Lyft moving forward. Yeah, uh, on that, on your notes, the co-founder, John Zimmer, he said that if the deal closes and the COVID recovery continues, Lyft should see profitability in Q3. Yep. So that, that was the note. All right, Seth, here is another uh, new segment that we're coming up with very, very quick here. And it's just, if you had to, it's kind of like, would you rather on Squawk Alley? But if you had to hold for the next three years, which would you hold, Lowe's or Tractor Supply? Go. Yeah, I mean, these are tough. And uh, I'm going to go with Tractor Supply, and I'll tell you why. Okay. Tractor Supply has... Uh, some of the most loyal customers in the world mm -hmm. and they're rural and kind of insulated from everything that's going on in the rest of the outside world and those those people I've, I've followed the company they're going to spend on the you know the animal feed and the, the the equipment and everything they come in for and it's just a really good business model and I'll tell you why Lowe's is really strong too if you would have put it Home Depot I think I would have been 50-50, but with Lowe's what I will say is Lowe's has done a really good job in sort of narrowing that gap with Home Depot over time, but I do feel like the comps that you discussed, the 70% over 2000, there's gonna be some major fade there. Yep. Um, and I think Wall Street knows it. And, and that's gonna be dead, it, these stocks could be dead money for uh, for a while. And they'll, they'll be great in the long term. But the other thing I don't like about Lowe's is it's intricately tied to the housing market, which is intricately tied to interest rates, which is interestingly intricate, tied yeah. to inflation. And so I like a certain bet more than a uh, riskier bet. And uh, given the macro uh, risk associated with lows in that, if inflation starts to run hot, the Fed has to raise rates, uh, I think you'd see a cooling of the housing market and then spill over to lows. So tractor supply. I agree with you. I also think tractor supply. A couple of reasons. One of them were the loyalty. Their loyalty program has over 20 million users. That's unbelievable to me for uh, for, a, for a tractor supply. I mean, Ulta Beauty has an incredible loyalty program. I think they've got like 25 million. You got tractor supply that's competing with Ulta Beauty on a, on a membership basis on loyalty programs. It's mobile app. They uh, created a mobile app last year because they saw that like 70% of their online orders were coming through mobile. And they've created an app that's already got a million downloads in less than a year. I think that's incredible. And I think that, as you said, they're they're kind of um, they're, they're obviously not Amazon un, un Amazonable, but they are Amazon resistant in many ways. They sell a lot of things that Amazon is not very good at selling at. Uh, and <clears throat> there's another big thing here is the that store growth. Did you mention that one? I was going to mention store growth. It's got to have more store growth left than uh, than less. 2,000 stores already, though, for Tractor Supply. It's a lot yeah. of stores. More, is, more than I thought, to be honest. Say, but, uh, um, but CEO yeah. Hal Lawton, he said. Uh, he said that millennials are their biggest source of growth. And I would actually agree with him because I've been going to track supply a lot more lately. I've been buying seedlings. I've been buying pots. I've been growing my own vegetables. And I think a lot of other people are too. And I think that that's a long-term trend that will stick post-COVID. I think millennials, this de-urbanization is also leading to millennials and young people starting their own gardens, doing more work outside. I think that all benefits tractor supply as well. Yep. Okay. And Makes there are sense. great sales of dog food. And, dog and food. it's just a smaller company. Uh, yep. Given the, the lack of the macro risk, I think Lowe's will do really well in the long term, but it has serious macro and mean reversion risk on, yes. on a reopening. Yep. 
I'd agree. Okay, last one, if you had to sell one today, because this is really hard. I wrote this question and I don't think I have an answer for you, but yeah. if you had to sell one today and you owned Walmart or Target, which would you sell today? Yeah, again, really hard question. Um, I think I'm gonna sell Target. Damn, um, we're on the same page today. Okay. Uh, although, I mean, Brian Cornell is such a good CEO and what you're really talking about is selling. So you're, you're talking about the future when you're yep. looking at stocks and Target has had an amazing 2012, 24 months, but I don't think the next 12 to 24 will be as bright as the last. I don't know how they could be. So that tells me it's Walmart because Walmart is going through an investment period that otherwise is masking what I think would be a lot of, uh, they're, they're building up the mode against Amazon, which invest, you know, short, short-sighted investors don't like that sort of thing, but what are you supposed to do if you want to ensure long-term dominance? It's the only way to do it. So um, I'm going to go with Walmart. I'd, I'd sell Target and keep Walmart. Well, I, I should we should have talked about this beforehand so we could give differing opinions. But I agree with you. I would uh, I would be selling I would be selling Target as well. I think Target does know its customer a little bit better than Walmart, and yeah. they're better with private label. Um, but if I had to give the logistical um, edge, I'd probably give it to Walmart. Even though Target is amazing with Bopis and and pickup things, but there's just so many clear catalysts for Walmart. International being a huge one. I think their Mexican and Latin American um, exposure is something that Target doesn't have. They pulled out of Canada a couple months ago, so there's no international exposure for for, for um, Target. And then you've also got Flipkart in Flipkart in India coming um, going public soon. That's going to be a big payday for Walmart. Yeah. And um, I yeah. still and the other and the other reason it, I mean we've talked about it. We look like idiots, but. Uh, I still think that potential for Walmart to semi-re-rate as a tech company exists, and that'll be a big, big, uh, you know, boost to the stock. Yes, I think I'm, it's, it's I'm coming one day. It. Coming one day. Uh, you know, we've we've been we've been a little early on that call, but yes, we'll very early, but it's coming. Okay, let's. Uh, we got four minutes left, so uh, we'll just talk real quickly about an article that this was going to be our main conversation, but we kind of got carried away <laughs> there. So. Uh, it's just the talk about there's a potential for a shipping tsunami to be coming in the next month and over the next couple months. Uh, and it's unbelievable given that we've already had a shipping tsunami for the last couple months. But uh, Nirjas Poskis, who is the vice president of Global Ocean Freight at Flexport, he said, what I'm seeing is unprecedented. We are seeing a tsunami of freight. The container ships that have been posted outside of LA Long Beach are down from about 30 a few weeks ago to roughly 20 now. Uh, but he says that does not mean the market is easing. He said for the month of May, basically everything on the Trans-Pacific line is sold out. This is an incredible story. He said, we had one client who needed something loaded in May, and that was extremely urgent, who was willing to pay $15,000 per container, and they still couldn't get it covered. He says the, the, the price doesn't always even matter anymore. Yeah, that's almost like a, uh, like a, a ridiculous bribe that you would see uh, in, out there. Um, so, uh, you know, this is another excellent article uh, by Greg Miller. I find almost every article that He's, I... If, for people that are listening that don't read Greg's articles, um, particularly because I, I feel like we're definitely experts on the surface transportation side of the world, and we know a lot on the maritime side, but Greg knows it all. Yes. And every one of his articles are, are worth reading, and I will continue to read them. Um, you know, what I would say is uh, I'm very bullish on Flexport, too. Uh, I, I like I. the company, and uh, I, won't, I won't go beyond that. But I, I, I don't think this is too surprising. Again, um, you know, uh, the, everyone forecasting that, that, that COVID give back and that things are peaking, uh, I think maybe what we're going to discover is we're just having a longer plateau that's a little bit more gradual on the way down. It will come down. Yeah. And, um, you know, it's just so interesting. <laughs> These surcharges that, um, I mean, I don't think you can just, so what most of all the articles and the data says is, well, 
now to move a container from uh, Asia to uh, the west coast of the US, it's $4,800 and last year it was $1,600, right? Well, that's not true because there's a two to $3,000 surge. Uh, it's, it's almost like trying to get a uh, Uber in Manhattan yeah, well, yeah. on New Year's Eve. Yes. I mean, it's, it's yes. egregious what people are charging uh, to move these things. And, um, you know, it will be interesting to see, uh, you know, so the shipping is hot uh, for the first time about, you know, what I've discovered, I haven't followed this industry closely for a long time, but I, do, I keep my eye on it. And about every five or 10 years or so, particularly when the Chinese economy uh, accelerates and gets hot, uh, shipping stocks come back into vogue. And, uh, and then all of a sudden, you know, everybody piles in and loses all their money. And, uh, <laughs> and so, but I do think this time is a little bit different. Um, you've seen a lot of, you saw this with the airlines a few years ago, uh, and then that was all reversed by COVID, but it's consolidated a little bit, got a little bit better pricing power, and uh, the market's holding up longer than anyone thought. I think you made a good point about how there's going to be this gradual kind of uh, fall down. It's not going to be this quick reversion. And I think the main point of that is restocking, right? Even when the consumer shifts back to spending on services or the, the consumer stops spending on goods, there's so much restocking to do. The, the, the inventory to sales ratio came up in February, but off of an all-time low in January. So, so much restocking ahead. All right. That's been episode 67 of Great Quarter, guys. The final one with Seth as a co-host. Seth, you want to give 10 seconds on where you're going? Oh, uh, yeah. I'm just going back to the finance world, starting a uh, hedge fund, and I'll be investing in transportation. So you will probably see me around. And, yes, uh, I'm going to make him come back and yeah. join us every once in a while uh, as a guest. But hey, we've got an incredible uh, event coming up on Friday called Drone Waves, covering everything uh, drones. We have the keynote, the director of NASA Aeronautics Research Institute. So join us for that early Friday morning. We'll see you next week as well. Uh, 3 p.m.